Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Karen A. Osborne's novels followed a 40-year career, first as an academic administrator, then as co-owner of the Osborne Group, where she served as a consultant, trainer, and motivational speaker. She has authored three novels, two of which are already out, uh, Getting It Right and Tangled Lies, which I've had the pleasure of reading. She's about to launch in June of this year her third novel called Reckonings. She is currently living in Florida, where she also hosts a monthly, I'm sorry, a weekly podcast called What Are You Reading? What Are You Writing? And she is a native New Yorker like myself, and it is a joy to welcome Karen E. Osborne to the Storyteller Microphone. Hello, Karen. Hello, Grace. It is so nice to be with you again. We've been together on a number of different things, even though we haven't had the pleasure to meet in person. And, and someday we will meet in, in person because we have had such a pleasure talking about our parallel lives. And it's so interesting. One of the things I like to bring to the storyteller microphone is the concept that we are all much more alike than we are different. And you and I have been college administrators, we have owned our own consulting firms, we have done motivational speakers, and all of a sudden, here we are, and we're both novelists with our own shows. What was your journey to getting here? Because I actually don't know that. You know, um, I always wanted to be a writer. I always, always wanted to be a writer. But I found it very hard to fit it into my life until these women started talking to me in my head. And they just insisted. They just, <laughs> Karen, Alex, just said, pay attention. You've got to put it down. And so I actually wrote my first novel, Getting It Right, on airplanes, in hotel rooms, um, in the Delta Lounge, at the airport. And we uh, must have met there at some point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, you talk about that and um, I want all of our listeners to know that characters talking in our head is actually doesn't make us um, unwell. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It happens all of the time, doesn't it? It makes us dangerous when we're driving, though. You know, <laughs> talk about distracted driving. You have to pull over and take notes. No, it's it's funny. I've heard that from so many writers that especially um, people who do character-driven books as opposed to plot-driven books, uh, that the characters just, and they're so real. Um, I was just at a book talk. Mm -hmm. It was a book club and they were reading Getting It Right, the first, the first novel. And the conversation about the two women it was it was like they were their girlfriends. It was like like they knew them and they were defending one against the you know. But yeah, but the, she did that because and and I'm just sitting there silent because they weren't asking me any questions. They were having a whole big discussion about and, these. And so women. so you've done your job as a writer when you make your characters as real for your readers as they are when they live in our heads. And I wanted to talk to you about the characters, because 
there are several things that happened for me, particularly in getting it right. There were things like the characters' names, which initially drew me out of the story. So this is where we meet Tuesday, right? And this is where we meet Flyer. And just the fact that they are named differently pulled me out of the story at first, but then instantly I had a feel for who they were because they had names that weren't mainstream, if you will. And you do a beautiful job of drawing these characters that are flawed, that are multiracial, that have gone through trauma. Is that your goal? What are you trying to accomplish with those things? Yeah. So one of the big things that I try to accomplish is what you said exactly that we are more alike, we, in the big scheme of people, more alike than we are different. And so all of my books have multiracial characters. Um, they, and, and different um, people of different colors and different backgrounds. And, uh, and, and I just want us, them to be real. And so that writer, readers will connect and see themselves and then, of course, flawed characters are always more interesting. Yes. You know? <laughs> Especially, although it's so um, important, one of my early readers for Tangled Lies, no, excuse me, for Reckonings, the one that's coming up, said to me, I don't really like your protagonist. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? And she said, she doesn't seem grateful. And I went back and re, it was like, just this gem of a, well, that's why we have beta readers, isn't it? Yes. And so I went back and I looked and I said, oh, she's right. She's exactly right. This is Karen Strzok. And she, she said, it's, and I went back and I said, I have got to make her grateful. I need to yes. make her, you know, because I know she was, but I wasn't conveying it on the page. In my mind, she was, but I didn't convey it. And I want to talk about that for a second, a, a little bit of a divergence in the importance of beta readers. I know that my novel, I had characters show up that I never intended to have show up because I had beta readers ask me questions. But in terms of what you just said, I the first time I really thought about it was Lainey Cameron, who does an amazing podcast of her own called The Best of Women's Fiction, taught me an expression, and I think it goes something like, pet the cat. So if you have this villain, you need to make that villain likable somehow. So you put a cat in the story and they pet the cat and then all of a sudden it, the person is more relatable. So you found that through the importance of your beta readers. How do you deal with characters that aren't likable? Yeah, so it was easier with uh, the main character in Reckonings, Roxy, because that was the only thing that was missing was her just showing that she was uh, that she was grateful. She's harried, she's flawed, her life is hard, but she just never said thank you. And I thought, oh my goodness. So I, so I, and that was so easy. That was an easy fix. But a villain, like in Tangled Lives, I had to make this villain, you know, it, it, it's because he has so many chapters and I wanted people to uh, not trust him but still find something in him that's so human because he's he's a well-rounded character. And so that, I think about that all the time. I think about 
um, people are complex, you know? So what, so he has a soft heart for uh, children. Yes. It's pet the cat. And, and it, it's all throughout his tale. You see, and you see what a troubled childhood he had. And you see that he cares about kids, but he's still evil. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So one of the things I really want to talk to you about is genre. You write in a genre that is very different than mine and is, oh, I don't want to say gory. It's certainly mysterious. There are <laughs> gory elements. Where does that come from in an author's soul and, and specifically in yours? So the first book, uh, the main character, Kara, is an incest survivor. And, and so that comes straight from my life. That, that's what I am. I'm not a survivor, I'm a thriver. Yes, and you are. I am a thriver. <laughs> I have, but that was a long and painful journey. So that's where, um, where that came from. And then for Tangled Lies, um, the, the murder that starts, wise off and the other things that that happen um you know <laughs> it's just, I, so I those read, characters in your head again isn't it karen <laughs> yes and i read a lot of you know Baldacci and patterson and uh, among other other genres but i do read a lot of thrillers and so it was that wasn't hard although i must say that a friend came up to me who just finished Tangled Lies and she said, I had to stop and catch my breath a couple of times and say, Karen wrote this. This is my Karen. And she wrote this, you know. And another friend said to me, uh, she said, the only thing she said, oh, that didn't bother me. The gore didn't, you know, the, the murder didn't bother me. She said, because I just love the characters and I love how, you know, I cared about them. She said, but I have to say the sex scenes got me a little uncomfortable <laughs> because I think of you as kind of like my mentor and my mom and oh my goodness. <laughs> she said that. So everybody is different, but I, I do try to include reality. What are people's lives really like? And people make love and people stumble and people have arguments and and there are evil people in the world. And that comes through, I think, in both of the books that I've read of yours, that even the evil have a human character or they have a they have baggage that they were handed that they wouldn't have wanted to have been handed and, and that affects their lives. Not that we're excusing their behavior but that, you know, they didn't wake up in the morning. And I believe this, I, I, I believe this in my soul. Nobody wakes up in the morning and decides I'm gonna be evil today. They, they may do evil, but I don't believe they wake up to do evil. Uh, I started out talking about how we both um, had parallel lives and we probably did bump into each other in a Delta lounge as we were traveling. But you and I both write women's fiction. Yours has a more mysterious, um, side of it than mine does. We also both write books with multi-ethnic characters. And how do you um, handle that? I get asked that as a Caucasian writer all of the time. You know, do I have a right to write in other voices? Do I have, what, what gives me a confidence to do that? So I'd love to ask that from the other side of the microphone, because I know what my answer is, I wanna live in a multicultural world and I have beta readers to help me get it right. But 
I, now that I've given you my answer, what's yours? Well, I, you know, I, first of all, I think it's a beautiful thing that you write multicultural characters. I think that I remember one of the first books that I read as a beta reader and a, a white woman wrote it and she was writing about black people. And then she said, before she gave me the book to read, she said, I hope that won't make you uncomfortable. And I said, no, why would that make me uncomfortable? I write about white people all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so it doesn't make me uncomfortable, I think. And getting it right, you wanna make sure you get it right. You wanna make sure that if there was anything that was off or um, not, you know, not true or not real, um, having people who are honest with you as beta readers to give you feedback. But that would be true if you were writing about somebody who had a disability or you were writing about somebody who was gay or, you know, anything that you're not, you yeah. want to get it right. And I think, and tell me if you agree with this, Grace, I think the key is that we are observers of human beings. That every time we're out in the street, every time we're in a store, every time we're on an airplane, wherever we are, we're looking at people all the time. We're noticing mannerisms. We're noticing a voice because we have to capture voices. We we are you know we are I think as the better the writer, the better the observer, or vice versa. Oh, oh I think we're big eavesdroppers. You know, I really do. I think the other thing is that I don't believe any of us are monolithic for myself. That mm -hmm. yes, I have diverse beta readers, but I would never ask my Native American beta reader to speak for all Native Americans. I wouldn't ask my African American beta reader. I just want to make sure I'm not offensive, that I have tone right, um, because we're not all going to agree. You're, you're going to like my character, I hope, as I liked and struggled with some of yours, whether I liked their soul or not, or I could relate to them. So yeah, that that's we, we should talk more about that in another segment as well. One of the things, Karen, I love that you do, part of it is because I'm a New Yorker and you're a New Yorker, um, at least in our youth, you do not only a wonderful sense of character, place is very, very important for you. You have a scene um, in Getting It Right in the cemetery where the Major Deegan is right there. And I was there. I was back, you know, visiting my family's cemeteries. Um, but not only do you have that sense of place of geography, I love how you create a feel that the almost the and you're going to say it much better than me because you wrote the words. You had a scene where it was rain trying to become snow, and I could feel that splat on the umbrella. Where does that come from for you? You know. Um... When I first looked at where the question was going, it was uh, it was more about the place, the physical ge geographic place. And uh, and I'll, in all confession to your audience, um, I make I made stuff up, and <laughs> I just made stuff up. And then my husband said to me, he said, Karen, you can't get from Grand Central Station to 135th Street on the train that you said they took. I said, oh, okay. So he said, come on, we're gonna go for it. We're gonna go out and we're going to ride the train and we're gonna go to Woodlawn Cemetery. Okay. <laughs> so, so one of the things that I did do for a sense of place is 
is really go and experience uh, as many of the scenes, even though I had known them as a child, it, it's so different, you okay. know, yeah, as going back. As far as the, um, the, the weather and the, those little things, you know, I work hard on those, you know, what's the sound? What does it feel like? What does it look like? I try to use all senses, all five senses as much as I can in my writing, you know, is there a place here for some for something that smelled a certain way? You know, is something that felt a certain mm -hmm. way? So I think the answer to that part of the question is I just work hard at it. And I, I love that you said that because there's the story, there's the storytelling. Is that something that comes from from you in the beginning or do you have to go back and fill that in? It's a mix. It really is a mix. You know, I, I do something that I, say that every writing teacher I ever had says not to do, but I edit as I go. So I, you know, I write the first chapter and I go back and I read it and I read it and I think about it and I think about, you know, I change words, I, I, I agonize over a word. Is that the really the right word I wanted? Mm -hmm. Then I go on, then I go back. So it it's very iterative as opposed to somebody who just writes that first draft, just gets it all down and then goes back and changes. I'm, I'm very, you know, chapter by chapter, changing as it goes. And sometimes my characters take me someplace else. You know, you said that you met some characters that you hadn't intended to be in the story. Absolutely. And I'm taking my characters this way and they... <laughs> and they do. And they do. Um, talk to us about Reckoning. Is it similar, different? Tell us. Uh, Tangled Lies is a murder mystery. And so that was a very, that was a, a change for me. But Getting It Right and Reckonings are both women's fiction suspense. Mm -hmm. And they're about flawed women who are struggling in their own lives, trying to make it in their lives. And so um, Roxy in, in Reckonings is 36 years old and she's old already. She's a mother of four kids. She's about to become a grandma. Her 17 year old daughter is about to have a baby. And she, Roxy had had a baby at 18 years old. And, and then she has a son and two rescue dogs and twin girls. And she's just old and she's tired, but she's a writer. And she has decided that if she could get her play shown at the community theater and her childhood friend who was an actor to star in it mm -hmm. for a week, that her life was gonna change. Her life was just gonna be, everything is gonna mm -hmm. be better, that she's gonna be able to buy a new house, she's gonna get them out of their jobs, life is just gonna be, and of course that's silly. But, but she says, well, you know, ordinary people win the lottery, it could happen. And so it's, it takes two weeks, it takes place in two weeks in August. Um, and August is often the time when community theaters mm -hmm. get actors, actors, you know, the, they're not working on a movie and they, they sure. come. And so her friend does agree to, to come, but everything goes wrong as one would expect. And, and, Ro and Roxy's a flawed, you know, we love her, we love her, but, She's not, um, her children tell her, everything isn't always about you, mom. 
everything. Every time we talk to you about something, you say, well, when I, and when I was a little girl, and this is what happened to me, and you know, everything isn't about you. And uh, so Roxy learns that, she has to learn that lesson. And it's got some Me Too in it, which okay. is another one of my themes, you know. Yeah. Um, so it does have a, a Me Too aspect to it. And our villain is, you know, you, you kind of like him and you're not sure he's really the villain. And he does good things, but in the end, he's not a good person. <laughs> well, Karen, you're going to have to come back and talk with me after Reckonings is out. I think we have lots more to talk about. You've been a wonderful guest here on The Storytellers, and I hope you'll come back with us. Thank you. This has been a copyrighted episode of Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network, and Grace Salmon. Thanks for joining me at The Storytellers Microphone. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon. <laughs>